Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio, where each week we bring you an in-depth conversation with a creative Mississippian. I'm your host, Lauren Rhodes of the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with Church Goen Mule, an accomplished sketch artist and painter who lives and creates in the Mississippi Delta. Mule is a Southern artist who was born and raised across the South, and as such, her work is influenced by Southern literature and music. Mule's paintings and artwork have been exhibited at galleries and shows throughout the Southeast, and she has participated in artist residencies in Georgia, North Carolina, and throughout Mississippi. Today, she can also be found managing the Jacks Farms Artist Residency in Cleveland, Mississippi, in the heart of the Delta. Mule is also a MAC grant recipient. She's received a mini-grant to support her work, and I hope she continues to apply for the Very Competitive Artist Fellowship Award. Welcome, Mule. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio here today. Thank you. I'm so tickled to be here. I could fall over. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I do want to ask you about your artwork, but I always like to start at the beginning of your artistic and creative journey. Um, now, you're not originally from Mississippi. Where did you grow up? I was born in Richmond, Virginia, and I lived in a couple places, including Norfolk and I think Newport News. Um, before kindergarten and around first grade, we lived in Little Rock for a year. Then I grew up mostly in Tallahassee, Florida, North Florida, um, and lived in Louisiana for seven years and went to school in Kentucky. So really all over the, <laughs> the southeast, south, yes, from yeah. the south to the north of the south. <laughs> and were art and literature and music a part of your childhood? It was. I didn't realize at the time how lucky I was that my parents would bring us to plays. We saw the Mikado when I was like in first grade or something ridiculous. Um, and probably orchestras and all kinds of things. Living in Virginia, you could make it to D.C. I thought all yeah. museums were free. <laughs> <laughs> we went to museums and at, uh art shows and galleries and just everything coming up and watch, you know, blues music and all kinds of things. So very lucky yeah. to have parents that just kind of forced it on you <laughs> to yeah. an extent. And were you making art from a young age? I was. My mother was also, um, she did weaving and worked on a loom and did pottery and did painting. And so that was just kind of the natural thing that we would do being around her because she was a um, stay-at-home mom, which we were lucky for as well. So we just follow behind her and do what she did. My grandmother, I think on both sides, really painted. And my dad's a writer and his dad was a writer. So it's one of those um, just came naturally to us by being around it. Well, and I should say that I consider you a writer too, because writing is very <laughs> much a part of your artistic practice. And um, did you also, you know, as a, a child, were you incorporating writing into, you know, the visual art that you were making too? Um, I think I was thinking about this today on the ride down that um, I don't think I want my work to be secretive or highbrow or anything. And that's why words are on it. And in the same way that I was putting like angsty lyrics on stuff in high school, yeah. you know, from Modest Mouse or whatever it was. So um, I think writing has always been a part of the making process. Very cool. Um, well, I know you're also very connected with your family history and your artist bio on your website says that your kinfolk are from the mountains. Um, and I've also read that your great-grandfather was a farmer in North Carolina. Um, did you know your great-grandparents, or did you grow up hearing stories about them? 
both. I was named after my great-grandfather, which I didn't appreciate until much later in life, being that he had a, a very distinct male's name that I was used to being called all kinds of stuff coming up. But he was a farmer, and I remember being like, you know, you're six years old, and people that are tall seem like giants. And he was yeah. 96 or 97. He lived forever. And my dad always says about how his muscles were as big as baseballs, even in his 90s, from farming and working so hard. Oh, my hard. gosh. So I remember him. I remember his funeral, um, but I was six, so I don't really – I might have been a little older, a little younger. But all I really remember about him was that he was very tall um, and just a figure. But hearing stories about him later, hearing about how my great aunt wrote about him, um, I think I have a lot of his attributes and being kind of – I used to be <laughs> sort of quick to anger and kind of just stern and not as loving as um, my great-grandmother was. So I appreciate learning more about her and incorporating all mm. these people into who I am today and um, their stories that make the art as well. What did he um – what did your family farm, just out of curiosity? In the same way, I think that most people farmed, and that's, again, what a lot of the work is about, that we all really come from an agra agrarian background that you had to farm, really, to survive. Mm -hmm. um, so he had what sounds like a big, um, just a huge garden of corn and uh, melons and grapes and all, everything you could pickle and grow in North Carolina, which really sounds like he had apples and pears and all kinds of stuff that wow. I can't even fathom growing. And my grandmother's always had a garden, and my mom's always had a garden, but it was never anything like that. And I, again, that's what the work is about, is everything that we've lost in losing people that knew how to do everything like that. Mm -hmm. So has connecting with your family history, has that been an integral part of your art making? And how, how, have, you, how have you incorporated that? It has. I think especially recently being in the Delta and being around more farmers and more mm -hmm. serious farmers, um, learning the more practical sides to a garden and how to raise a good garden um, and how it ties into what my grandfather and my great-grandfather knew about gardening um, and about animal husbandry, but then also, again, kind of the universal agrarian knowledge that we all had somewhere in the past just to survive. Um, and then on the other side, my father's father was a Methodist minister, and so his um, sermons have made their way into my work. So it's kind of a mix of the agrarian and the religious um and which again is what the like my I'm mostly focused from the 1900s through the 50s mm -hmm. and that's what so much of American life was was going to church and mm -hmm. going home and pickling you know or having a big um Sunday dinner yeah so and telling stories and listening to music well that's I was actually you know in preparation for the interview I was reading through um, your website, and you keep a really wonderful blog. <laughs> I hope you don't mind if I, I if I quote you. You, you had a really, I, I'm a gardener too, and so it really resonated me. You said, thinking, making art is just the same thing as gardening. It takes everything to grow, life, experience others, the sun, the rain, and the strange, unbelievable, beautiful miracle of the first sprout always feels astonishing. And I was like, that is, there's so many metaphors in, in gardening that relate to, to art. Um, so I just, I just love that. Thank you. And that's whatever it is that makes a seed grow is the same thing that makes a painting happen. I think that everybody has it in them and every seed has it in them and some just work more beautifully than others or different seasons, you know? So I was thinking about that. <laughs> well, um, I really, I do appreciate all, all the gardening references and, and outdoor and nature references in your work. Um, I'll, I want to shift gears a little bit to Another step in your background, you know, you, you said you studied art at, in Kentucky or you mm -hmm. went to college in Kentucky. 
and I saw that you also studied art history. Um, what drew you to art history in addition to studio art? All of it was purely on accident. Oh, I, went, okay. <laughs> I went for a, a farm management degree, and I got into sophomore year, and the science and math courses like made me cry, like most of oh. college made me cry. <laughs> so um, I was always taking art electives and art history electives, and um, I was going for my BFA, and then I got my horse racing job in Louisiana and settled for a BA, and the way the stuff worked out, I also had a double minor, double major in art history. So okay. just kind of accidental degree to get to go to Louisiana. And now that's so interesting because you have elements of like farm management in your day-to-day life exactly. and art. So <laughs> it worked out better than I could have planned or imagined. It's incredible. So you said you were working with horse racing? Mm-hmm. I think I worked in racing for 10 or 15 years to some aspect or degree. Okay. And what were you, can I ask what you were doing? With like I was a groom yeah. and a hot walker yeah. and I'd ride a little bit. Um, the older quieter horses for sure. Uh-huh. Um, and I worked on farms and at racetracks across the country. And I got a job finally in Louisiana as a racing photographer. Okay. So were, did horses make their way into your work starting during that period of your, of your life? I don't know for sure what I first started drawing, but mm-hmm. I remember it was before kindergarten and my best friend across the street loved horses and she's my best friend. So I loved horses too. <laughs> so she'd draw horses. So I'd draw horses. And I, as far as I remember, that was the first thing that I had drawn. And I was like, well, I'll just draw a horse until I can really draw a horse. So it's been there. The horses have always been there. That's neat. Um, well, Back when you were, you know, working in Kentucky and uh, working with horses, did you have a a goal at the time of becoming someday a full-time working artist? Was that in the back of your mind? No. No? (laughs) It still is, and I still feel like I'm in retirement or something. I have to go back to, like, a real job one day. So. so. Okay. Well, I I think of you as a a full-time artist, so I I guess maybe people have different (laughs) definitions of, you know, what that means and what that looks like. But Well, I, I... I'll call myself an artist, and mm-hmm. I mean, I think, and in the same respect, I think everybody's an artist, so yeah. to be who I am and to be able to live like this is just living, I think. It's just a natural, like writing or painting or making a garden is just a natural aspect of my life that I'm going to do if I'm making money off of it or not. That's a great way of putting that. Um, so how did you make your way to the Mississippi Delta to, to Cleveland? I think that my mom first showed me an article about the Shack Up Inn in Clarksdale, if it was Garden and Gun or Southern Living or whatever that she always has on hand. Um, And I've been involved in loving blues music since middle school or high school, probably actually in Little Rock when I was in first and second grade. Um, So when she'd show me that article, I was like, wow, that's so cool. And as soon as I got to Louisiana, where I thought I was always supposed to be, I started going to the Delta and found out every time I left, I was like, how can I make it here? How can Mm. I move here? And I always had some kind of crazy mythological experience or some kind of insane weather event or just (sighs) stories that I'd carry back and the people that just made you feel like you belonged. Um, So from 2014 to 2021, I guess, is when I moved to the Delta finally. Um, It just kept calling. uh, My friend Charlotte calls it a soul place. Hmm. And I think that's a good phrase for it because it's it's, just it's unexplainable, inexplicable. It's just something about it just gets you sometimes. Um, and I'd met Will on accident trying to um, introduce another friend to the Delta who's a photographer, Christy Cornell. And we'd gone to dinner at his house, and he's running a residency in one form or another for a couple of years. 
And he invited me to come to your residency. And so for two years after that, I was like, when can I do it? When can I come up? Are you ready yet? When can I come? And then I stayed for two weeks and I kept pushing it off to actually have to leave again. And as soon as I left, I said, I wish I could come back. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could stay there. And he got a job in Troy, Alabama. And he called me and said, hey, well, I need somebody to watch the place and help run the residency. So I quit my job seven years (laughs) and hightailed it to Cleveland, Mississippi. And that's where I am now. Was that an, an easy decision to, to make? Seven years seemed like a lucky number yeah. to have been at a place. Um, and I was still glad at the job, and I had a community there in the racing industry, um, but it was it was time. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know how things are, just yeah. natural, time to go. And I wanted to go so bad anyway, so it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> well, and that was kind of in the early days of the pandemic. It was just after. It was 2020. 20, uh, was it? I wonder if it was 2020 or 2021. I can't remember now. You know how it is, yeah, COVID brain. It, everything. Yeah, everything kind of melts but down. But I was in Ocean Spring. It must have been 2021. It was. So, yeah, the <laughs> coming out of it a little bit. Well, it seems like very serendipitous, especially since you, you know, you had always loved blues music. I'm intrigued. How did you, how did you start listening to blues and what made you fall in love with it? My dad had gotten some kind of compact disc series from Sun Records there, because when we lived in Little Rock, we go to Memphis all the time. And I heard Helen Wolf sing Smokestack Lightning for the first time, mm. and that was it. I mean, and I tore those CDs up. Like, I think I finally, like, lost them or destroyed them, but I loved those, like, early Sun, record, Sun Records recordings, and it was just all downhill from there. So what's it, has your experience of, you know, blues music and you know, your love for the Delta, has that shifted and changed since moving there and living there full time? It's it's just, all of it's just so remarkable to me. So we live, the farm situated right there off of 61, but it's on the old 61 highway, which all the blues musicians have sung about. And um, the highway would run from different commissaries and plantations. So it's Robert Johnson had to have traveled that road at some point in his life and Charlie Patton. And to go to Dockery Plantation and hit the little button mm-hmm. that plays Charlie Patton music and he's just echoing through all those old buildings is just incredible to me. So to be in these places and to see this insane weather that all these men had to live and work through and to be born into and die in um, is just surreal all of the time. And then the language, too, mm-hmm. um, to understand the songs better and to hear different phrases that didn't make any sense when I was coming from Virginia or Kentucky or anywhere. And then to meet people and to see how they're living and to see how they treat people and to see how people would sing about all these experiences is just all-encompassing and incredible and a deeper understanding, I hope, I think, I like to think. Hi, I'm Lauren Rhodes. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The Arts Hour is a co-production of the Mississippi Arts Commission and MPB Think Radio. You can also listen to the show on Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, 
and legalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Lauren Rhodes at the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with Delta-based artist Church Goen Mule. So before the break, we were talking about blues and your journey to the Mississippi Delta, um, and I'd like to talk to you more about Jack's Farms. Um, since you know moving there and working there starting in 2021, what what does your day to day look like? What what do you love about being on Jack's Farms? I just love everything so much. <laughs> I have a, I'm gonna have a hard time talking about it. Um, every little bit of it, and I, I, re- I hate to be too saccharine or anything, but golly, it's, <laughs> um, it's a beautiful thing to wake up in the morning and have purpose, just even in the animals, um, and letting the chickens out or cleaning their coop, which um, Jenny takes care of these days. But then we have a whole horde of rabbits. And the dog Wilbur, who you know and, mm-hmm. and love, I think. Yes, I do love him. <laughs> um, and the cat Wampus and the horse and everybody just waking up, even having to take care of the animals is such a blessing. And then to meet the different artists that come through and the different artists that apply and how they experience the Delta and how they choose to run their residencies and the work they make because of it. Um, and then taking care of the land and learning new things every day in farm maintenance and um, just every aspect of it is a delicious, beautiful, gorgeous challenge and something that I'm very fortunate to get to do. Well, and you post a lot of photos of the farm on Instagram that make me very jealous (laughs) of the natural beauty you get to experience every day. The Delta, man, it's insane. Yeah. So So for for those who might not be super familiar with what an artist residency is, what does that look like on the farm? Um, On the farm, I run it in the way that I liked my residencies that I'd go on to be run where I'm left alone. (laughs) To make work and make as much work or do whatever I want to do without having to do a show or do a talk or do a workshop or anything. But the um, main purpose of residency is to kind of bring you out of your natural space and your natural routine and interrupt it. And um, with no responsibilities and like no pet care, house cleaning, and you don't have to wash any dishes if you don't want to that day kind of thing. Um, And bring you to a new place that you probably haven't experienced before with people you probably haven't met and with weather and a landscape that so many people haven't had the chance to experience yet. So it's just kind of hitting the refresh button on your practice mm-hmm. and how you run it is up to you once you get there. And you have write, you have writers, painters. Musicians, potters. Well, we've had mothers come through, which I think is really special, and mm-hmm. photographers. We've had everybody. Um, Jenny that lives at the farm now is a culinary artist and things like that, so it's just one of – we're really naturalists. We're open to everybody coming through because – being in the Delta and seeing how farmers work and seeing how running a tractor is as much as an art as painting is to be able to hear it whine a certain hmm. way and to know what's wrong with it or to know what it needs is just kind of just magic in itself, even though it's an engineering thing or a mechanical thing. Um, so the term artist, again, I think everybody's an artist. It just depends on what they're putting their um, heart into. Yeah, I agree. Um, and you know, you mentioned your artist residencies. You've done residencies at the Twelve Oaks Nature Preserve and Tin Shed at One Hundred Men Hall, um, and and others too around the southeast. How how did these shape your artistic practice, or did it change the way you practiced your art at the time? Uh, the Twelve Springs 
uh, 12 Springs, 12 Oaks residency in Ocean Springs was life-changing, and I was thinking about that today. Um, it's right there where Walter Anderson did a lot of his work and Horn Island and everything and all the different beautiful islands out there. And I said that to say that I was barefoot out at 12 Oaks every day under those old trees and in that old house and near the old old Fort Bayou, Bayou I guess. Um, and just to be so immersed in the land and I'd go mm-hmm. walk the trail every day and it was probably, I don't even think it's half a mile. But to see that nature has something new to offer every day, to see that there's some kind of strange thing happening in the land every day, um, tuned my senses into the natural world and helped Mm -hmm. me see it more brightly and to see it more closely. And I still carry that with me today. I was thinking about that. It's like I wish I could go back, you know, and just have that refresh again. Um, And that it's just life-changing. And every residency, I think, has that capacity to be life-changing or at least to be practice-changing just depending on um, the environment. So 12, 12 Oaks, I keep wanting to say 12 Springs, 12 Oaks and Hunterman Hall, Rachel's just incredible. And she, I think of her as a mentor, even though I don't really talk to her that much, but she's one of the strong women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love her to pieces. So and her, that space is so thoughtful um, and quiet too and just so well-situated that it's hard to beat. And from the ocean to the cemetery right there is just incredible, and she's so amazing, so... Yeah, 100 Men Hall is also, I have to plug, Matt Grant. Oh, yeah. They're Matt Grantee, and they do incredible arts programming year-round. Community-driven, just the things that she thinks, the things that the community thinks of, just astonishing, incredible. So Yeah. Well, I'd like to talk a, a little bit more about your your painting and your your art style in general. I know it's hard to, to sometimes describe one's own artistic style and ethos, but um, to me, your work feels very archetypal and spiritual and you see figures and icons like the mule, the bottle tree, the bluesman repeating themselves in different iterations and forms. And then there's the words and phrases like you've described that you like to include. Um, So, you know, I think of you as a storyteller and a a painter, but how do you describe your own, your own artistic style and your work? So I have a friend, Wendy, that's in Detroit now, and I think she's in Detroit, and she called it Southern Graphic, which I think is, yeah. (laughs) I think that's the best way to say it, Um, because it's not really outsider art, and it's not really folk art, but I don't know what it is. So, And I normally people are like, well, it's not really folk art, is I'm like, what do you call it? What do you call it? I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea. So Southern Graphic, um, it's based in a lot of Southern Gothic, works and blues music which I guess is southern gothic itself um Mm. and inspired by folk artists that knew the land and um let's see I was going somewhere with that Hmm. anyway yes I don't know how to describe it either southern graphic (laughs) well those the the figures that some you know show up in and out of your work like the mule for instance what does the mule does it represent something to you is it just a compelling I mean, I find it very compelling to look at him in his various journeys across the sky and the land. But um, what does the mule mean to to you and your your work? So he's very personal. And at the same time, there's a big, huge story, tall painting called the Universal Mule in the Ogden. Hmm. And I think about that a lot, too, where the mule was universal in the South. He was universal. To me, it's personal to start off with because... I was born in Virginia, and now I'm down here in Mississippi, and I went to Louisiana. So all across from Virginia to Kentucky to West Virginia to Florida to Texas and across really the whole nation, the mule had a job um, right before tractors kind of took him out. 
but they worked in coal mines and they worked in sugarcane fields and they worked all the fields in the delta that there were to be had and they'd work six days a week to carry their family to church on the seventh. So that's where the name comes from, but it's also that the mule worked for rich people and poor people and plantation owners and sharecroppers and store owners and just he did everything that was needed of him and so he's the south's creature Mm -hmm. um and then he's mine too because in the same way that the mule could fit in everywhere that's something that I hope to be able to do especially in the south yeah what about some of the other symbols how do you how do you decide what to in- incorporate in a painting? Do you draw inspiration from what you see on a day-to-day basis, or is it sort of like dreamed up? Or It's both, um, especially right now in the springtime. There's a painting at home that I'm – well, a painting I did the other day that had daffodils in it and narcissus in it and things like that because that's what I'm seeing around me at the mm-hmm. farm and across the landscape, which in the same way that a, the bottle tree is about – ghosts the same way that the daffodils are because a lot of times you'll see them planted where an old homestead used to be yeah so it's these beautiful reminders of the history that is all around us that we can't necessarily see anymore um but a lot of it's based in superstition or kind of the more southern gothic things about living in the delta um but it's just sort of this vocabulary that i have picked up and continue to pick up that um hopefully is evolving (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but when I sit down to paint, I never know what's going to happen. And a mule might be three different colors before the painting's done, you know. And okay. it might go from daytime to nighttime in one sitting. It's just um, just how it goes, just whatever happens. Yeah, I've, that's that's always like the mysterious creative process that is hard to capture and put an, into a bottle. And It surprises me. Every time I sit down, I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Who did it? Does it feels very outside of myself? So you don't necessarily have a, a plan, but you do sketch. You I do sketch. sketch. Um, I have a thing I call an ideas book, and I'll write down things that I think are inspirations for a painting, and it might be lyrics or phrases. And very rarely are they accompanied by sketches, but sometimes they are. Hmm. But it's usually the words that'll form the painting before anything else. Oh, interesting. Oh, so it's almost like you're you're kind of illustrating a, a story or an like illustrating a, I don't know. Do you consider them stories or? I think so. All different parts of a story, and that's I'll read a book sometimes, and I'll underline things that stick out to me about it, and I'll save it until I finish the book, and then I'll go back through, and not everything I underline makes it out of the book, you know. Hmm. So, and then sometimes I'll write something down, and I read Mark Twain's. Um, the book about the river. It might just be called Living on the Mississippi or something. I'm not sure what it is. But I'd read that a couple years ago and pulled lines out of it. And so many of them didn't mean anything to me until I moved to the Delta and had a different okay. experience with the li- with the river. Um, so it's just, it's informed by living, but it's the words come first. That's really interesting. Um, I also read, I don't know if you maybe mentioned it in an interview or something you were writing about, um, you inherited your grandfather your great-grandfather's sermons my grandfather's grandfather (laughs) my dad gave me a whole box of stuff to burn (laughs) oh my god! and I love to bring this up every time so he can sit at home and just laugh and smile (laughs) but (laughs) I love my uh my friend up the road calls me kind of a raccoon because I'll just go through stuff and poke through everything I can possibly find and so I had this big old box of things that my dad had given me to burn, and I was looking through it. And I'm like, Dad, are you serious? It's typewritten, and he had his wow. edits on it and some handwriting on it and the different churches he used to pastor. And so I have that pile at home, and that's all I have really from him. And I almost burned it, Dad. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> Dad. <laughs> so. 
So it has have lines from those have been kind of wafting in and they have and they're so sacred to me. It's a little bit like blues music where you can't listen to it too much or it doesn't mean anything mm. anymore, unfortunately. And so there's some of those I haven't read, and I don't know when I'm going to read them. But I just they're on a shelf, and I can see them right now. But I'm just they're they're so special. Well, I know any archivists out there are probably thinking like, put those in like a weatherproof <laughs> box that you know. Man, I came home one time and the dogs had knocked them off the shelf, and they knew it. That they knew. Oh. <laughs> so you're right. They need I need to scan them <laughs> and put them in a box. Yes. I'll apply for a grant for the funding for it to get yeah, it done. Yeah, that correctly. would be a great mini grant. <laughs> use. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Not to toot Max Horner. Um, yeah, well, I switching gears a little bit to, you know, your love for Southern literature. I'm a huge Southern literature fan, Welty and, and Faulkner. Who are some of your um, influences or your favorite, your favorite Southern authors that you like to read or that you've discovered maybe? Well, I'm sure I know all the same ones that you know. I don't know. Um, Erskine Caldwell, I was surprised. I was reading him a couple years ago mm. before I'd gone to the residency in Noonan, Georgia, where he was from. Um, Faulkner called him one of his like top three wow. favorite writers, and I'd never heard of him before. So um, I, j- I really just just about like all of them. All the dead ones are my favorites. Yeah. I, loved, I loved Jesmyn Ward an awful lot. It took me so long to read Salvage the Bones because I thought that book surprised the heck out of me. I love that book. Yeah, so, she's amazing. She, whew, buddy so I love I love them all um I can't even <laughs> don't even know where to start so I just say I love all of them. I yes well amen I'm, <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you um what has it been like you know meeting different artists who come through the the Jack's residency have there been any friendships that you've created with other artists or anyone that you've learned more about their work and just felt really inspired by it's really interesting to be on the farm when the residents start coming in because it seems like, to me anyway, the whole spirit of the place just kind of feels brighter mm-hmm. and lighter and more creative just by the fact that artists are coming into it. Um, I, I feel some kind of connection in one way or another to all the artists, and I'm always amazed that people are so kind to me afterwards, like the sweet note that you left and the sweet note that other people leave. I'm just like, I didn't think that, <laughs> I didn't think that it would, you know, it's just... Oh, gosh, it's such a huge <laughs> amount of hospitality that goes into welcoming, you know, someone basically on it, it feels like a home. It feels like you're going to a home and in the best way possible, like very cozy and warm and the land is is beautiful and inviting. So I'm sure people can feel that hospitality through, you know, through the farm and through you. Yeah, the land, I think, has such a great spirit to it. And I love the UFOs, what we call the trailer. Um and I think that has a good spirit to it because there's never been any kind of negative experience that people are just so grateful to be there. I think that's such an important thing that I also don't always expect that people are just grateful for the change of scenery and to be there in the Delta and to be able to make work. So it's just, it's all inspiring and the people, every single person's been incredible. Hi, I'm Lauren Rhodes. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The Arts Hour is a co-production of the Mississippi Arts Commission and MPB Think Radio. You can also listen to the show on Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. 
On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Lauren Rhodes with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I am talking with painter and Matt Grant recipient, Church Goen Mule. So I'd like to talk about, you know, you've exhibited your work all over the South. When did when was your first art show or your first art exhibit? When did that take place? Um, my first solo exhibit was at uh, Smith & Lens in Bay St. Louis, which shout out to all of the wonderful galleristas in Mississippi, from Fisher Gallery to Oxford Treehouse Gallery to Karen Gallery to Paysetter Gallery to Turnrow Art Company. It's all women, and they're all so great at their jobs. And Smith and Lens was the first gallery galleristas that gave me a shot, and I'm, and they're all related to Hunterman Hall and everything. Just an incredible community, and the first I just wow couldn't have asked for a better first chance, you know. That's great. Yeah. What's the experience like of of showing your work, and what do you like about it? What's what's hard about it? I'm sure there's a lot of artists <laughs> out there that are you know interested of, in getting into galleries and what it's like to to be able to submit work and then have it have it shown um I the way that I was fortunate to kind of get into it was that I had submitted to a juried show I think maybe the summer before and they'd like and a, a piece had been selected and then they liked the work enough to ask me to do a solo show so it's just kind of putting yourself out there and not taking things personally yeah. when you don't get in um and just keep trying and not not everybody's gonna get what you're doing or care about it and it doesn't matter just keep doing it if you if your heart's in it that's all that matters. Um, so I I love every part about it because the same thing with farming where there's just different things where you eventually get really good at what you're doing. And mm-hmm. it's easy in labeling and hanging and making the work and making a body of work and delivering it and just meeting people is probably the best part of anything is meeting people and hearing their stories and making friends <laughs> everywhere from Huntsville to Columbus, hopefully, and in the, in the Bay and that terrific group of people. And it seems like everybody that connects enough with the mule to get a piece um, is also like a really dear friend. So it's it's really lucky that it's all worked out how it has. And it seems like, you know, the making of, of art and, you know, writing too, it's always, it, it's a solitary thing, mm. um, not necessarily lonely, but it's an, a solitary creation and to be able to put it out into the world and have people react to it and um, view it is is probably a, a really rewarding experience. It is because it's it's a part, of, like you said, it's solitary and it's a part of myself. And it's one of those things that's something that I don't understand, but also it, I don't I wouldn't put the words on a painting if I didn't deeply connect with it. And a lot of the work I was making last summer was about just like big feelings, mm-hmm. <laughs> really big feelings. Um, and f- to put that out there and to have people know what I mean and in their own way, which is more important, that they connect with it in the way that they need to. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's beautiful, really, <laughs> really neat. And you have an upcoming show in Columbus. Tell Tell me a little more about that. It's at Columbus Arts Council, and it runs through March 28th, and I would love to see you out there. I'd never been to Columbus too much before this show, so it's neat to see another side of Mississippi. I love Columbus. So cute. It's a great little <laughs> college town. Yeah. There's a college there. I know. 
<laughs> they have a wonderful um, writing MFA program. Is that where? That's she... where I got my MFA from. Oh, and what? CT Salazar. Oh, I thought that was well. Hattiesburg for some reason. Okay, I did not. Know they that. also do. USM also okay. does as well. But Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So, what kind of um, what kind of art are you showing in in the exhibit or in this show? The show is called Belonging, and it's after William Faulkner quote, um, and it's about kind of. I've never really felt like I belonged anywhere and especially in different places where everyone's grown up there and especially like in the Delta, people have been living there for generations. And despite that, they've made me feel like family and they've made me feel like I belong. So it's kind of discovering what that means for someone that's never had that before Mm -hmm. um, and never had the chance to even really think about it. Um, What it means to belong to the land, to belong to yourself, to belong to other people um, is what the show's about and of course there's a mule in every painting good so (laughs) so that's yep I love that theme as a fellow Mississippi transplant that resonates very strongly that's I don't know what it is but just ever since I first started coming here and that must have been what it was was that you treated immediately like family welcomed in and some people think that the question where are you from is an alienation question but to me it's because they want to know and they want to hear your story and they want to relate to you and that's the first door that they can find open Mm -hmm. and you can always tell by the the tone in which the question is asked as well it's a often a warm question so Mm -hmm. yeah and they're really listening and then they usually have a really good story about wherever you're from (laughs) somehow so so how does um you know you're you're showing this new body of work are you planning on selling it through the show and do you always are are you always thinking about what is you know, creating something in terms of it, there being an arc or like a central theme, or do you f- kind of find the theme after you've created the paintings? I think the, that's a wonderful question. I think that it happened at the end when I was looking around at it and seeing how I was feeling, but it was also that the quotes that I was drawn to, to think about were about belonging and about land and about home, which I guess is kind of an all, a theme for, that's been a theme, but um, especially now that the ground seems a little bit more unsteady than it has in the past. So it's, it was trying to find root, roots being yeah. rooted. Um, so I think I looked at it and then I opened a quote and I did kind of one of those bibli, bibli, I opened a Faulkner book and I did one of those bibliomancy things and I kind of like put my finger down and it, the belonging quote was right there and I was like, perfect. Oh, wow. And I named it. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> So what what Faulkner book did it come from? Do you remember? I'm pretty sure it came out of Big Woods and he was saying something along the lines of it used to be that you could belong to farming 11 months out of the year and then you could belong to hunting for one month after that and then you go back to farming. And now you can belong to hunting and farming, but you also have to belong to the business of mankind. So that's something that being in the Delta, especially a lot of this was painted during deer season and duck season. Um, something to think about outside of farming season being finished. Yeah, because hunting is such a big part of Delta life, too. Are you, um, is, is that part of your life as well? Are you? No, I'm a horrible shot. I'll never forget my neighbor up the road. I got in a slingshot and I was so tickled. And I was like, wow, I'm never going to shoot a gun, but I am going to get me a slingshot. And I took it out and I showed it to him like I was a five year old. And he picked <laughs> it up and he aimed it and he had a target spot on, dude. Wow. <laughs> Legendary. And I, that's not, I have no capacity for that. So, well, you can practice. <laughs> it's true. So I love to hear about it. I, it sounds very beautiful. People going out in the duck blinds with their dogs in the cold water and just spending all, all that quiet time. You have to be quiet mm-hmm. <laughs> out in nature and have and imagine all the beautiful 
wild, crazy things that they see. So I would like to be, <laughs> but that's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't think people realize how how much of Mississippi is just natural area and how how outdoorsy a lot of Mississippians are. I think that would surprise a lot of the country, but we do have a lot of nature here and people who appreciate nature. And I feel like the Delta, you know, especially of any region in the, in Mississippi is, is that way. Well, and that's, it's so much about hunting is also about conservancy. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize people tag ducks and it's a big deal if you shoot a tag duck because then you report it to the scientists that tagged it oh. and that's like shooting I don't know it's like a diamond and diamond in a coin I have no idea what it is but it's a big deal <laughs> yeah. and the whole point of that is the scientists are so glad to get the information and the data from it and the hunters are so tickled to get that information too to be able to send it out that it's it's more than I think like you said I think it's more than people realize it's not just going out for blood sports it's going out to be in nature and the other thing about the Delta that's so, like, it's all farmers, but a lot of them are hunters too, and they know the land so well, and they can look at rows and see if one's the wrong size, and they can look at the sun and see if there's a ring around it, or the moon and see if there's a ring around it and tell you how soon it's going to rain and what the hmm. clouds mean and just things like that. And then <laughs> I was thinking about this the other I was sitting out somewhere, and a plane went overhead, and I was like, well all these Delta boys know exactly what kind of plane that is. And sure enough, somebody said, that sounds like a mighty big jet plane going over. <laughs> and they're just listening to everything and paying attention to everything all the time. So it's it's neat to be among these people that know something so well and so thoroughly. I just feel like you have legendary stories about all of your neighbors, too. <laughs> That's what, when I got here, I had a man- mantra where I was like, don't tell everybody's business. <laughs> so I haven't, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really trying not to. But the stories are incredible. There's people that worked at Parchment and jumped out of planes and have been to Guatemala and chased by hogs and monkeys and anything you can imagine. <laughs> so. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well, what's capturing your attention now that is showing up? You said narcissus and daffodils. What else is um, capturing your attention in the real world and making its way from the Delta into your, your paintings? The sky's been a really big deal mm. recently that um, I, <laughs> I'm i really not a trained artist. So the other day I found out that if you use a big brush, <laughs> it blends the colors really well. And it almost looks like the sky, man. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been just tickling myself painting like that recently. Um, and the night sky and just the clouds and the weather. Um, I'm sure before long it'll return back to the garden because I'm dying to get back in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been going out into the old railroad tracks and digging tulips or whatever. I don't know what they are yet. So that's what I'm really interested in is to see what kind of blossom comes out of those things. Um, And the birds, there's some Canadian geese that I think are going to have babies across the creek and otters and beavers and just everything everywhere. (laughs) So I just never know what's going to happen next. And do you uh, paint outside and play air? No. (laughs) No, I don't want anybody to see me. I'm very private. Do you take like do you take photos and then or do you just paint from memory? I paint from memory because it's never going to look how I want it to look if I'm looking at a picture. Mm-hmm. And it's that's the thing that surprises me too is because I'll see something and I won't really realize that I saw it or that I saw it to where it would be in my memory oh. to where it would come out in a painting. So it's just a friend the other day we were out driving Jenny we were out driving and she's like this looks just like one of your paintings I'm like wow. So it's just, it's a constant miracle and astonishment. (laughs) Can you, I'm just, that's such an interesting concept. Can you give an example of something that like maybe you didn't realize you had noticed until it showed up on your canvas? (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know. I might be putting it on the spot Yeah, I'd have there. to really think about it. Um, yeah. Because the other thing is I forget about paintings I do until I see them later. I'm like, wow, I did that? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I can't. Just the sky, I think, has really been the main thing. And one time I was riding the horse and then a song lyric came on and just the two came together and I had to hurry up and get home to remember it and do it all at once. But it's just, there's one where it's a, the, anyway. <laughs> you need to have a little notebook in your pocket to remember. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Or like voice to text or something. Yeah. It's true. It really is. Um, well, I was going to ask you too about, um, you know, with your, your gallery show coming up, do you, you know, how do you decide where you want to show your work and who you want to work with and, you know, where you, where you partner, um, these days? It's, um, it's been a really beautiful education in galleries from, for seven years now, since I started really selling work, um, that I'd apply for anything. And I went to a train station in Missouri one time and hung work. Um, and that was like a 10 hour drive and I didn't sell anything. (laughs) So it was just a constant lesson. And I throw a dart at a wall and I do whatever I, wherever I got in, I would go. And that taught me a lot about what, um, what worked and what didn't. And now it's really crazy to think about all of the all of the weird shows that I did. Like I did one once in Texas where they never put the labels up. Oh my. <laughs> so I didn't even get the world famous exposure, man. I just, <laughs> I just drove another 10 hours for hardly anything. So, um, it's definitely learning through mistakes and experience <laughs> exactly, like anything. Yeah. Exactly. So on the flip side of that is when people like Columbus Arts Council say, Hey, do you want to do, do a show here? And the Black Prairie Blues Museum in the fall was like, hey, do you want to do a show here? We'll get a petting mule. And I was like, heck yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's great. <laughs> so uh, the energy meets the energy. I think people are just wonderful. And it's n- now I'm fortunate to be asked to do things. Yeah, That's really nice. And I've, I've heard that you – have you done some mural painting as well and creative creative placemaking? In Clarksdale, okay. I've done two or three or four maybe. Um, and I did a private mural in New Orleans. Um, and I do it freehand, so it's kind of difficult, and I do it with, like, acrylic or house paint, so it's, okay. like, I do a lot of layers to make it really last, especially in a place like New Orleans with the heat and the humidity and everything and the weather, but, um, I'm not, I'm not, like, a professional <laughs> muralist. Was that kind of a hard transition to go from, to, you know, from a regular-sized canvas to a large wall? Yes, and it's neat because Maddie Stratton from New Orleans, we had a, uh, Rachel Loyakana, probably said her last name incorrectly, um, came from New Orleans, and they paint Mardi Gras floats, and they paint murals, and it's neat to see them be used to painting something so huge yeah. to do like a four-by-four four painting on canvas is nothing. So it's neat to aspire to something like that. Yeah, it's such a, com- a completely different perspective too and to paint a wall and then to go home and paint like a four by four like a four by four inch painting is nothing so it's neat to yeah yes <laughs> and have have people noticed your murals in Clarksdale do they do they put that together with you being in Cleveland or I really don't know because I also don't like to make a deal that I did it I think people can tell but I don't put my name anywhere crazy but I've heard that the shared experience people will do tours and there's one I did on the side of the Hooker Hotel with the Clint Eastwood mural um, where they have cotton and soy and corn. And she'll go by and she'll explain that those are the main three crops in the Delta. Oh, that's so So it's cool. neat to be educational. <laughs> well, with well. with the little bit of time left, where can people find out more about your work? 
I am at Church Going Mule on Instagram. The show in Columbus, again, is up through March 28th. And I also have a website at churchgoingmule.com and a Substack coming soon. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel.